This podcast is sponsored by Travelport. Travel is changing, and we need brave innovators to shape that change. Travelport is leading the way, connecting buyers and sellers of travel through a single, independent, unconflicted marketplace. Come see what the future looks like and find out why change is for the brave at Travelport.com. Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Skift and Airline Weekly reporter, Edward Ned Russell. Today we talk about one of my favorite topics, which is probably one of the least sexy topics in the airline industry, but one I love nonetheless, and that's cargo. Cargo has been a major lifeline for the airline industry during this pandemic as international passenger flights have been grounded and demand has just vanished. Uh, so we look, into, we look at that. We look at uh, United's order for maxes and the max being approved in Australia. Um, and we, uh, and speaking of United, we we're we're going to take a look at uh, how United's taking the bus and what that means for for travelers in Colorado. Thank you for listening, and if you have any feedback, you can reach me at mu at skiff.com, and you can reach Ned at er that's er for Edward Russell at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. A new issue drops every Monday, and we update the site throughout the week. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, Edward Ned Russell. Thanks for joining me. This is Madhuni Krishnan, and we're here for the Airline Weekly Lounge. Ned, hey, today. Hey, Ned. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics in the airline industry, which I know it baffles you and a lot of people, but uh, but I love it, and that's cargo. Cargo is sexy, right, Madhu? Cargo, especially right now, it's sexy, because it is a lifeline for the airline industry. Uh, so... We, in the last year since this pandemic started, we've seen some airlines like Korean and Asiana actually turn profits on the back of cargo. And so I wanted to, to dive into this a little bit. Let's, let's, let's talk all things cargo, Ned. Sounds good. I mean, your timing is impeccable. Alexander Dejuniak, the director general of IATA this morning, was just saying that IATA or cargo really is a lifeline for airlines as things are dark this winter. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know it is interesting. It is not a savior, however. I think it's important to absolutely to underscore that. I mean, in, so in, according to IATA, in 2019, cargo generated about 102 billion dollars in revenue for airlines worldwide, compared with 612 billion dollars for passenger revenue. In 2020, their estimate is that it'll be about cargo will be about 118 billion versus 191 billion for passengers. So, yes, it is helping. I mean, we've got a, a delta of about 16 billion dollars there for cargo, but just look at the passenger revenue collapse. I mean, that's more than 400 billion dollars worldwide. That the no amount of shopping online is going to make up for. Absolutely. And then, you know, you, you think about all the airlines that don't really carry cargo, the, the budget carriers out there. You right. know, I was listening to International Airlines Group's earnings last week, and they were saying fueling, despite you know being positioned to win a recovery that's leisure first, actually was hurt the most uh, by the downturn because they don't have ex- ancillary cargo or, ma- or maintenance businesses that they can generate money on. So, you know, they, they were shut down and hard by the restrictions. But for the airlines that do carry cargo, it's, it's definitely uh, a, a help, big help. Yeah. And that's a really important distinction to make. I mean, the, when, when 
you know, when, when we're talking about cargo, the, the majority of air freight is not carried by dedicated freighters. I mean, there are comparatively few dedicated freighters in the world. It's carried in the belly holes of, of wide-body aircraft. So a carrier like Vueling or here in the States, Southwest, um, just doesn't have the same cargo business that something like United or Turkish or um, IAG, you know, another one of their airlines, British Airways, yes. may have. I mean, the, so... It's been an interesting thing to watch because on the one hand, cargo, uh, there's all this news about, uh, you know, airlines like United and American and Turkish and various others converting passenger aircraft into freighters. And wow, that's great and everything. But the flip side of that is that there's just so little capacity, cargo capacity, because there are so few international flights. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every... Airline earnings call that I've heard has said, you know, there's been, you know, while cargo's up, there's less capacity to carry it. And, you know, that really has, I mean, it's helped the dedicated cargo companies. And like you said, ASEAN and Korean Air have turned profits on the back of rising rates. But really, cargo capacity is way down. So yeah. that, that delta of, what, 18 million, 16 million, you, billion, billion you, you mentioned, I mean, that's really probably driven a lot by the increase in rates because yeah. there's capa- lower capacity and lots of goods need to ship. Right, exactly. I mean, we're in in a lot of the uh, the um, larger economies of the world. I mean, uh, huge populations are trapped at home and are shopping online, and that's redounded to the benefit of companies like Amazon, of course. But someone's got to move all that stuff, and uh, and it's not going to be Sun Country with their seven thirty seven freighters, at least not all of them, <laughs> <laughs> or Mesa with its seven thirty seven freighters, and that that's also an interesting development here in the states. I mean, you've got um, two airlines that have never really had freight businesses suddenly, you know, deploying um, deploying uh, dedicated freighters. I mean, Mesa had now has three seven three seven Boeing seven three seven four hundred Fs. That it's operating for DHL and Sun Country, how many? 12. Uh, 12. That it's yeah. operating for Amazon, right? Yes. You know, so that, new business that's, lines. That's unusual. Uh, another thing that's unusual is uh, United. I talked to a spokeswoman at United and uh, um, they are operating, they've operated 10,000 cargo only flights since March that's last year. That's crazy. You know, it reminds me of my 1999 United timetable I was looking at oh, the God. other day. And they had their uh, DC-10 dedicated freighter route network to Asia advertised on the back. It gets you there quickly. <laughs> Let's go on a little tangent here about the DC-10 and how much I love that aircraft. <laughs> my question, Madhu, is were you ever stuck in the middle seat in economy for the eight hours from Honolulu to Chicago on a DC-10? No, I can't say that I was. <laughs> All right. Well, I have uh, I have some not so great memories of that. (laughs) Well, I've gotten some blowback from this podcast uh, on this podcast for my what I think about the Boeing 747 and how I don't understand the the love that this aircraft generates. However, my confession is that I look at the I look at that empennage of a DC-10 and I think it's just beautiful. Um, I almost, for, for you listeners out there, I almost spit my coffee on the uh, <laughs> microphone over that comment. But um, we'll let Madhu have his have it, have his view. <laughs> so you know the other the final point I wanted to make about cargo is you know I was talking to some analysts about um, whether this will be sort of a trend going forward. I've asked the airlines themselves, and uh, the the thinking is that this is a lifeline. It's not a savior. Um, Cargo 
will likely be an emphasis for airlines in the near term as passenger demand slowly starts to come back. But the other thing that I that I found interesting is that um, you know factories around the world have run down their inventories, um, and shipping uh, maritime shipping has been constrained because there's just this this massive growth in 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 freight just across the board. Uh, so the car- cargo could continue to be lucrative and yields could actually rise in the near term as as companies, you know, as the economies start to rebound and the, we see more economic growth, um, companies start to restock their inventories. Uh, so that so it's probably, you know, at least through the end of this year, um, it will continue to be a an important Part, uh, revenue line for airlines that traditionally haven't made a lot of money from their cargo operations. For sure. And as more international flights start to come back, uh, especially I think in the back half of 2021, you're going to start to see that cargo capacity come back online and airlines are going to be eager to sell it because I have a feeling, you know, even though we get some international flights back, they're still not going to be filling the passenger cabins on all this, you know, if we get half of transatlantic capacity back by year end. I don't think it's going to be full on the passenger side. But the cargo, I'm sure they can sell that. Yeah, absolutely. But I wonder how long um, airlines will you know, continue operating passenger 777s and 787s as, as cargo-only um, aircraft. I, That's I a good question. No one's, no one's answer, been able to answer that. I, I, and I suspect they actually don't know. So <laughs> that should be interesting. Now let's switch gears here, Ned, and let's talk Max. Let's- Yay, Max! <laughs> <laughs> Now, we're not uh, referring to uh, my former boss, Max Kingsley Jones. No, we're talking about the <laughs> Boeing 737 MAX, which has uh, been steadily re-entering service around the world. You know, right. the, the, the latest sign-off was by Australia on Friday. You know, they aren't necessarily a large MAX country, but uh, Virgin Australia has an order for 25. And then there's also some airlines that fly the MAX into Australia. But sort of more interestingly... United Airlines uh, placed an order for 25 more MAX aircraft, giving them a firm commitment and fleet of 22 of the jets in in the future. So that's Alaska Airlines, Ryanair, and now United that have given the MAX a shot shot of confidence uh, going forward. And how many, I mean, you covered the story. How many MAXs in total will United have after this order is complete? So they had 188 firm commitments with the addition, plus mm-hmm. 22 would be 100, 210. Uh, 210. Yeah. And they didn't, de- they didn't disclose the variants, but they currently have 737-9s and they have 10s on order as well. You know, there are some substitution rights in there for 8s if they did want them, though they have not uh, said anything beyond that. And what aircraft are, are, will these Maxes be replacing in United's fleet? So that's the big question, Madhu. You, there's been long talk of, of the MAX 10 replacing 757s on some transcontinental routes, uh, putting a premium cabin in there like the A321T at, at American or the A321 Mint at JetBlue. You know, but that's still a niche market. I'm starting, you know, what I, I'm thinking and a lot of people have started t- uh, talking about is they might be looking to replace some of their older A320s and 737 800s. Huh. A lot of them, the oldest A320s date to 1993, actually. Wow. So, you know, really, United could be getting in on the same, uh, getting on the same plan that Alaska has, which you go take 150, 160 seat aircraft and replace it with a 180 ish seat max and start get a very economical upgauge. Your fleet stays flat, but you've added capacity, and that could be that could be United's game plan. They haven't said now what they're going right. to do exactly. 
So it's not just fleet replacement, it is growth because of the larger capacity of these aircraft. Absolutely, uh, what about- and that's what Andrew Nacella said. They said uh, replacing old aircraft and growth, and that would be very efficient growth. Replace yeah. a yeah, smaller pl- small old plane with a bigger new plane. Well, what about those 7.5s? I mean, they're getting kind of long in the tooth, too. They are, but the ones that are really left in the United fleet f- flew transatlantic uh, mm-hmm. prior to the crisis. And the thing is, is the Max can't do that. They, United has an order for the A321XLR that they do plan to fly transatlantic, but the first of those don't arrive until 2024, unless the, they've been delayed, and we haven't heard any details about that now. So the question is, is does United want to just get rid of the 757s now, which they have been very firmly uh, on record that they've not made any retirement decisions, and just wait two or three years for the A321XLR? Or you know, do they hang on to... 25 757s for a few years until the XLR gets comes around and then retires them. You know, I think anything is is possible right now as mm. as we're still watching the recovery and United you know declines to make any firm decisions on on what they're changing. Well, it's still a vote of confidence um, for the aircraft type, which you know just a few months ago the sort of non B two B press had was in hysterics about the max and understandably i mean there was, there are a lot of concerns about the regulatory compliance and oversight at boeing and obviously the wake of the two fatal accidents but uh the you would you would not be you would be forgiven for thinking that the max was uh was done but the absolutely but you know what i'm really waiting for is when they they sign a max deal that's not a an, ex- a, an existing customer with a large order book you know, the, uh, for example, the IAG commitment for up to 200 maxes. You know, they said in their earnings last week that no decision has been made yet. But hmm. they also said they need a narrow body replacement for their future needs. So, you know, anything's on the books now. Boeing confirmed that up. That's going to be a big win for them and a big uh, vote of confidence for the max. So, you know, things to watch. Right. And, you know, a couple of minutes ago, Ned, you mentioned um, Australia just greenlighted the max for reentry into service. So now we've got Australia... The FAA, um, FAA Canada, Transport Canada, IASA, most of South Brazil, America. Yeah, Brazil, yep. Mexico, um, Panama, Panama. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, the big one that's going to make the max is China because there's a lot of max orders from China. That is the Great White Whale. The Great White Whale. But what I'm hearing is that's probably connected to geopolitics yes. as well. So. I don't think that's going to be a simple, you know, all the boxes are checked kind of sign off, something that's going to come at higher levels. So we will have to wait and see. Well, I'm hearing that, too. I mean, larger forces are at play than just uh, regulatory compliance and safety. Uh, So how that plays out is anyone's guess. And I think a lot of it will depend on how the relations relationship between the U.S. and China uh, develop in the new administration. This podcast is sponsored by Travelport. It takes courage to change. Travelport is reinventing travel retail, starting with its own new look. Come see what the future looks like and find out why change is for the brave at Travelport.com. All right, Ned, let's let's actually switch gears. And, you know, we always, I, always, I overuse that expression, but this time it's actually germane because we'll be talking about buses. Something you seem to love, and I, uh, I think you're alone on that. I'm, I may love my cargo and my Excuse DC-10s, me, but my who loves, loves a bus? Well, he's also two years old, so he can be forgiven. I think I love buses at two as well. <laughs> my son's but... favorite book is, uh, is the uh, to, uh, 
Okay, then the pigeon drives the bus, which he doesn't. But anyway, don't tell him that. <laughs> and on that note, tell us about this landline thing. <laughs> uh, so United, uh, lots of United news this week. United signed a deal with uh, Landline, which is a, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a bus operator, essentially, to operate buses from its Denver hub to Breckenridge and Fort Collins. Uh, Breckenridge flight buses. In Colorado. just In Colorado, yes, in Colorado. Now, this is not a new idea. United did this uh, itself back in the late 90s. Well, let me stop you there. For, for our listeners who don't know, I know you're, you've spent quite a lot of time in Colorado, Ned. How, I, I spent part of my childhood in Colorado, yes. I lived by, there. by road, how far is Denver from Breckenridge and from Fort Collins? Breckenridge is about 100 miles or 160 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And Fort Collins is closer, about 50 miles. I'm guessing that's about 80 kilometers from the airport. Yeah. So... Generally straight shots. Fort Collins is a bedroom community of Denver, so there's a lot of commuter traffic, uh, whereas Breckenridge is a resort town that many people know um, up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So um, how is this going to work? I'm curious about this. I mean, I read your story. I read all the reporting on it. So you've you've fl- say you've, you've taken your United flight from Chicago to Denver, and you're booked through to well. First of all, let's start with the ticketing. I mean, you do you actually buy your ticket on United.com or on the app, Chicago all the way through to Breckenridge? That is exactly what you do. Breckenridge has its own airport code now, QKB. You can buy it on United.com or any of the global GDSs straight through from Chicago, London, connecting in Denver, straight up to Breckenridge. Okay. And so when you land in Denver, what happens? I mean, do you do you collect your bags and go out uh, out to No, the that is curb? the beauty of, of what uh, Landline and United have put together. No longer do you have to collect your bags, go stand out on the curb, wait for the bus in the cold and the wind, as many of us have done. No, you uh, jump on the United, most United flights come into Concourse B. You jump on the airport train, go to Concourse A walk down to, to one of the regional gates there, and the bus boards, just like a regular United flight, zones and everything. Uh, for the frequent flyers out there, you even get your frequent flyer miles for fly, for, for taking a flight on a bus. Huh. So yeah, it's it's a seamless seamless transfer when you're transferring from a flight to the bus. And is Going that the other, diff- Oh, sorry, let me stop there. I mean, is that different from the way Sun, Sun Country also has a, uh, a deal with Landline um, in Minneapolis, the Minneapolis area? Um, is, is that different from how it works with, uh, with Sun Country? It is a little different. You do not need to collect your bags for Sun Country, but buses do leave on the, the land side of the terminal, which is outside of security. So you land, you have to exit security and, and go to the curb to, to mm-hmm. meet the bus though your bags are connected through. So okay. there's, it's slightly more more to do with Southern Country, but it's it's also still not a huge uh, additional inconvenience. All right. And so then you, I interrupted you. You were saying coming back from, say, Breckenridge or Fort Collins to catch your flight in Denver. How does that work? Now, that's where, the, I mean, there are challenges. The buses will pull up to the curb like any other bus or Uber or car at the airport, and you have to get out and secure, clear security and go to your gate yourself. Your bags are transferred for you. Oh, okay. But you know, there is not approval yet for the buses to arrive inside security. I mean, for part partially, Breckenridge doesn't actually have an airport, so there's no mm. TSA checkpoint for someone. Though, speaking to the CEO uh, and co the co CEO CEO and co founder of, of Landline, uh, David Lundy, he was telling me Fort Collins, which used to have air service, still has the TSA screening equipment and everything there at the airport. 
And so they are in talks about you know, getting that staff so that their buses can leave, quote unquote, inside security from Fort Collins and then arrive inside security at, at, Den at the Denver airport. Now, of course, okay. there would be challenges. The bus would not be able to stop en route, though it's right. only 50 miles an hour and a half. So that's the feasible drive barring you know, an emergency happens. Uh, so that would be a real, I mean, I think that would be a real game changer if people don't have to clear security once they get to Denver, because come on, none of us like to have to go through TSA, especially at big major airports like that. Right. So, uh, but that wouldn't be possible in uh, Fort Collins, right? Because they, they don't have the infrastructure. It wouldn't be possible in Breckenridge. It Breckenridge, excuse would me, be sorry, in Fort sorry. Collins. I misspoke, yes. yes. Uh, now, does United, do you know if United, I mean, when you were talking to people at United, do you know if they have any plans to expand this bus network either in Colorado or elsewhere? I mean, they, they said that's definitely a consideration. I spoke to Ankit Gupta there at United. You know, what he's looking at is, of course, they want to see this be profitable, mm -hmm. which will be one measure. But they also want to make sure that customers are satisfied with the service. Because what, what this is, it's, a, it's sort of a white label partnership. Think of United Express. The buses right. are painted in a United livery. Um, they have United service, quote unquote, on board. So, you know, they want to, Ankit said that they, they want to make sure customers are happy with that. It's mm -hmm. just like if United Express partner has to meet certain customer service uh, parameters in their contract and they don't, you see the airline generally, you know, either hit them financially or, or drop them as a partner. And he wants to see that. So I think there's, there's going to be a lot riding on both uh, profitability and, you know, customer satisfaction to see if mm -hmm. they want to expand this. But if they do, I mean, look at America's cities. Many of them are spread out and big, and a few have good train systems to get around. So there's a lot of possibilities to expand this. You know, Denver alone has multiple suburbs that are 40 to 50 miles from the airport that could easily be served by a bus. Yeah, I mean, true intermodality really doesn't isn't much of a thing here as it is in Europe or in Asia. Um, no, no. So this could be this could be an interesting development. I mean, I I I. I'm curious to see how customers react. I'd be, like I said, you know, in Europe and Asia, people are used to getting off the aircraft, collecting their bags and going downstairs to a train station to take them to their final destination. But I'd, I'd be curious to see how that concept works here. Um, I mean, I like to get off a plane and, and go downstairs and get on my bike to my final destination. Does that count, my dear? <laughs> no, I like to get in a cab. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> All right. And Ned, I think we've spoken enough about buses, You want, uh, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about Australia. I mean, things are not just the max approval. There's uh, We have a new airline, right? Yeah. Uh, Rex Regional Express is a, is an Australian carrier, primarily a regional carrier mm -hmm. that has debuted, uh, I guess, mainline passenger flights taking on the Qantas and Virgin between the in the largest market, Sydney, Melbourne. Right. Uh, they launched this week. And uh, it, I mean, they're going up against quite a behemoth. I mean, Qantas on its most recent earnings call last week said uh, with Virgin Australia's troubles they they have 70 percent of the market domestic market so i mean it's a it's a market ripe for a new entrant but do you think rex uh rex has what it takes i don't know they're you know i i checked out some of their operation when i was down in australia in 2019 for world world roots and i think scrappy is the way i would describe it but mm -hmm. they're clearly targeting they, they weren't targeting these you know, Melbourne, Sydney travelers, they were targeting, you know, they, they primarily flew Saab 340s to small rural cities. So you're talking about, you know, working people going and some tourists and stuff. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. Uh, 
I think the... Yeah, I'm pessimistic. Mm. I think Australia is a tough nut to crack. Yeah. You know, the only reason people say Virgin survived as long as it did was because Anset failed shortly after Virgin launched and they sort of were able to fill that niche. But look at look at Tiger Air. You know, they right. made a go in Australia during otherwise boom years and they really weren't able to to make that a success up against Jetstar, which is Qantas's low cost right. subsidiary. You know, Virgin itself has struggled for it years, has. even though there's clear like they clearly have a strong market following. So I just really wonder if there's if there's room for a third airline. And then you know, it makes you wonder also will Rex's commuter regional subsidiary or operation survive too if Qantas stops partnering with them. So Yeah, I mean Virgin it's it it's had its share of identity crises as well. I've been trying to figure out what it is and how it's gonna go up against Qantas. Uh so it's a, you know Australia's an interesting market because it's huge. I mean it's geographically huge. Geographically and, huge. And but the population is tiny. I mean it's the population is less than half of California's I believe. Um in an area that's 3 quarters the size of the continental US. And okay. and where population centers are far flung. I mean it seems perfect for uh, a really really vibrant competitive airline market, but that just hasn't really happened, does it? Well, yeah, I think you can't downplay the the feeling, the, the sense of national pride in Qantas. It's mm-hmm. treated like a national. I mean, it's a national brand, but it it is treated in the way that I in America you never see anyone sort of uh, loving and bashing a single airline the way Australians you know do that with Qantas. They love it, but they you know every little thing also comes under scrutiny. I remember one time I was in Australia and it was you know Qantas earnings and I mean it led the national news in the evening which surprised me because I don't think any US <laughs> airlines earnings no. have led the national news in the la- you know in the last uh, decade or more so you know it's, <laughs> it's just a different different sense of national uh, I guess connection to the airline that doesn't exist elsewhere right so now uh, watch. yeah it will be interesting to watch now Ned you, you want to take us out with what Qantas stands for it's an acronym oh gosh you're gonna like you're gonna take my app geek guard uh, it's Queensland something something come on help me out Madhu. Queens Queensland and Northern Territories Air Service there if you I, go. If I got that wrong, please let me know. Please tell me at mu that, at skiff.com. You can, and you can chastise Ned at ER. That's ER for Edward Russell at skiff.com. Ned, this has been a great, another great uh, conversation. Um, like I said, uh, to any of you who have any feedback, not just on, on, quant, on Ned botching Qantas or <laughs> my love for the DC-10 or Ned's love for buses or whatever you want to write us in about – you can reach Ned at er at skiff.com. You can reach me at mu at skiff.com. Check us out at airlineweekly.com. Um, a, new, a new issue drops every week, and we update the site with news at AW Daily every single day. Uh, thank you, Ned, for joining us, and we'll do this again next week. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.